namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sangang namasami <clears throat> so one of the big, one of the big um, difficulties that occur in our lives is around doubt, and it's partly it's it's large because partly because we don't even necessarily recognise it as uh, for what it is. Mm-hmm. Whereas we can recognise violence, you know, or addiction, we can recognise as a problem, but doubt is a is really the is considered to be a really strong problem that underlies a lot of the other problems, you know, the more apparent problems, because uh, doubt is often a doubt concerning um, how we should act, what's right and what's wrong, who we are, what our, where we're going to go, what kind of things we should be doing, who to believe in, who to follow, whether we should follow anything or not follow anything, whether there is such a thing as right and wrong, whether everybody cares and not, you know, whether there is a path or not a path, a self or not a self, and uh, so forth. Um, yeah. and so it kind of, it's, it's, it's like an, it's almost like we don't have a really a rock solid core that we can rest on and feel really steady and certain and, you know, clear about what we're doing and uh, very clear about our own hearts and minds, our intentions, our actions. Uh, so doubt, uh, in these lists these, uh, of hindrances, doubt occurs as a, as a kind of a, one of the five hindrances, is also one of the main fetters, as a kind of a, in other words, there's a, there's a, a hindrances when there's a kind of continual forms of doubt and uh, fetter is when it's actually a, um, a doubt about whether there is such a thing as a, as a transcendent or a nibbana or deathless you, know, you haven't actually sensed that so that's the really rock solid bit you know, that we want to aim for to get some sense of, of uh, you've got some reference and uh, an interesting kind of um, Paradox about the really rock solid bit is it's it's empty. <laughs> it's just still. It's and these things don't move around there. That's where the moving stops. That's where the pressure to hold stops. That's where the the tension stops. That's where the belief and the disbelief stops. Yeah, it's a stopping. So it's so in a way it stands for itself. We don't have to support it. And until we've uh, touched that or realised that then there's a kind of, a, there's a tendency to, for every, all our problems to kind of rest upon an un, unsteady uh, basis of uncertainty. So doubt can be either um, actual skepsis, like, well, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Lack of, uh, or, or, or speculative doubt, you know, around beliefs. They say this and they say that. Is there a self or is there not a self? Should it be Buddhism or should it be this, that, and the other? We get speculative doubt around systems. Uh, we get, uh, or uh, we don't really think there is such a thing, or can't, can't have any real sense there is such a thing as a place of stillness that, that is not just still, but actually really, you know, enhancing in our lives. It's not just a kind of frozen state. Yeah, or we, or we have a doubt around. Well, am I? Can I do it? Someone like me? Is it worthwhile? Is this going to fit into my life? Considering the things I've done, am I going to get anywhere? Considering the kind of person I am, is it going to make it? I don't think I am. No, probably not. I never did. And I always was. And I probably always will be. So why bother? <laughs> so, the, you know, the, the spinning of doubt can go into this kind of dead 
numb place of, of either manageable or, or, or severe depression. The manageable depression, you just keep shrugging yourself off. You know, you just shrug your life off. And, uh, what can you do? It's all a waste of time. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it's kind of manageable dis- despair. <laughs> well, it's unmanageable despair as if you've got no more shrug left in your shoulders. <laughs> Can't, they won't work anymore. I can't shrug. <laughs> so then, in a way, the doubt becomes a kind of conviction in its own right. You know, really, I am stuck in this. You know. So it becomes a kind of more than just a you know vaguely fuzzy mindset. It becomes a deep core black hole. You know, down which you just keep plummeting. And you can't claw your way out. So doubt in its severest form is actually suicidal, you know. You can't really find any reason to keep going in this existence, you know. So it's this total lack of conviction in anything. And people can't drop into these holes, sometimes just for periods of time, you know, and hit the bottle or grab some pills or something to, to you know, in these severe cases just trying to kind of cut off that piece of their experience, you know, kind of do something in a chemical nature just to kind of get kicked up again. Oh, we look for some support, some counselling, some therapy or some of this nature. You know, so this doubt is not just a, a small thing. <coughs> You know, in, in, interesting enough, the Buddha said it's really good to, to ask yourself questions, but not to create doubt, but to actually um, use, use uncertainty, but use it skillfully. Uh, and uh, so Buddhism does actually, the Buddha does actually encourage quite, encourage quite a lot of inquiry, you know, what is this? What's the meaning of this? What's the purpose of this? What's the value of this? So it encourages you, it doesn't encourage you to believe, but it encourages you to inquire. But it's also to recognize that the inquiry that the, the, the Buddha encourages us is into, into not who we are, you know, but what, what do we do? What are we doing? You know, inquiring to who you are just goes into a whole labyrinth. If you notice that, uh, but inquiring into what you've done is actually quite specific. What you're doing today is quite specific, and he's inquiring particularly into the encourages inquiry into the ethical qualities, you know, of what we're doing, what we've done, and how we're living. And so that's quite specific. It's, it's it, you know it's it's uh, and it's all it's kind of impersonal yet it's specific. You know, it's what I'm doing, what you're doing. And it's in terms of what are we, are we doing? Abusive stuff, things that abuse other people, or non-abusive. Are we doing supportive things or non-supportive things? Very simply speaking, are we abusing ourselves with substances? You know, so you're clouding the mind, intoxicating the body, doping the intellect, or are you actually supporting clarity, supporting conscientiousness, supporting the ability to be discerning? Yeah. Are you support? Are you actually doing some yoga of the mind to make it more agile and supple? Are you doing yoga of the heart to make it more loving and peaceful? Are you doing, you know, these kinds of subtle actions? Yeah. Are you doing yoga of the body in terms of how you live your life? You know, in terms of whether one's actions are trustworthy. You know. Non-violent. <clears throat> so it's it's uh, an important. Um, it gives us something very tangible and specific to to uh, to get clear about. Even we recognise that from time to time we do act abusively. Yeah, maybe not physically. Maybe kind of act abusively verbally is a easiest one. It slips out, you know, the kind of cutting remark, the snide, 
um, the um, the abuse, the curse, the put downs, the dismissals, the caricaturing, the gossip, you know, the carrying, the bad mouthing, you know, easily slips out. It's the easiest vent of the distress that we experience in our lives. So when you, if you do kind of acknowledge this and you say, oh, hey, okay, what am I doing? You know, where's that coming from? So at least you begin to get clear about what's what's right kind of questions to ask, what right kind of inquiry to to hold. It's not a philosophical, metaphysical. It's a very much an ethical, specific inquiry, and, you, and you're not even you just want to get to know yourself, get to know what's happening, the events that you are. You know, so rather than trying to define yourself as some kind of entity, start to define yourself as a series of events and processes and patterns and habits and which are the ones you want to support and carry on sustaining your life and which are the ones you don't really want to have recorded (laughs) you know, you don't want to look back on and think, oh god it was me losing it, you know blabbing again (laughs) you know how many, how many remarks would you like to have tape recorded and played back? <laughs> so you start to consider these things. Yeah, right. That tells me something, you know, about the need to be a bit more uh, conscientious and inquiring. Because, um, so this is then, uh, this is kind of gives you a sense of, you know, you begin to get a clear sense of path, direction in your life. Because when you sustain and cultivate speech that's generous, clear, to the point, patient, worthy, valuable, you know, then when you remember that, you feel okay, you feel still, you feel somebody, you actually feel peaceful and you feel contented. Mm. It's important, very important to actually bring these things to mind, particularly to bring the good to mind, so that you've got, you've got this continual measure to, to say, yeah, there is the good. Because if you only consider or remember the regretful, the bad or the distressed, then you, know, you can easily just get into a continual reaction in your mind where you're continually labelling yourself as this is all you are, this is what you're stuck with and so forth. So it's kind of good to really make a practice every day of just recollecting, considering, bringing to mind you know, the times when you could have lost it, but you didn't. The times when you could have really blasted somebody, but you felt that and you didn't. You know? And how do you feel about that? When you did it for your own sense of conscience and concern rather than because repressing something. You know? Yeah, that was that was good. So it becomes a kind of treasure. It also tells us an aspect of karma, you know, which is really the, the ethical action, and how important that is in bringing us to a place where we can be really open and. Uh, Settled in ourselves, you don't have to keep sort of shuffling and regretting and, and covering things up. So it's giving some sense of, of stillness and satisfaction, some kind of ground that you can stand on. You can stand on the ground of your own of good, your own goodness. Uh, and then the various amounts of blame that come your way, or praise that come your way, or success or failure. You know, other you've got something. Okay, but. I got this, you know, I don't have to be rocked around by not getting the applause, the acclaim, you know, the the star prize, uh, or getting some negative comments because wait a minute, I've got this, you know. So you're not you don't get the doubt that co- that's caused by being thrown around in the worldly winds of, of just random opinions, because who knows what opinions you can trust. 
the really the important one is to be able to know to trust your own opinion, because <laughs> that's the one you're going to live with. <laughs> and uh, you know, when you do see something that's in, that's unskillful in yourself, then really, even though that's kind of painful, still you find that even there's a kind of sense of firmness and clarity that arises just from acknowledging one's own unskillfulness. Yeah. So it's not that, um, you know, sense of confidence arises from being utterly flawless in behavior, but the sense of confidence arises really from having a basis whereby you can even clearly acknowledge a fault in your, in your behavior and consider, yeah, that's why it was wrong. That's why it was like that. That's how it happened. And that's why it won't, I won't, I'll make steps to prevent that happening. So just, you know, the ability to actually witness even one's own, you know, irritability, um, pettiness, greediness, or whatever it is, then um, you're looking first of all to get a place of where you're not continually wavering and, and uh, havering and fudging and blurring and, and you know, this, which is the basis of doubt. It's kind of wavery. You're getting some clarity. Because these other things come later. You know, it's, it's recognized, interesting enough, in this process of awakening, in the stages of it, the first big stage of it doesn't actually mean that you never feel any kind of, of irritation or any kind of uh, greed. But you know that. You can feel, you can sense that. You've got some perspective on it. That's the important bit. That instead of, of uh, blurring and fudging, and um, looking the wrong way, you acknowledge it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. That's where it happens. That's what happens. There it is. You know. And you begin to investigate the basis of it. That's skillful karma. We should get some confidence in doing that, because it doesn't take you to a bad place. It doesn't take you to a place of endless shame and regret. It takes you to a place of feeling. Um, there's there's uh, definitely causes and effects here, and you you feel convinced in you in working with it. Hmm. It's very noticeable in, even in you know monastic discipline, which is quite intricate. There's plenty of room for greed, hatred, and delusion. They're not, they're not against the rules. But they occur in such, such absurd places that you, they, they kind of stick out like a sore thumb. You, know, you find yourself slavering over a bar of chocolate, which, you know, layperson never even came on the agenda when you're kind of looking at more heavy-duty stuff. Bar of chocolate. Um... So, so you can see you're getting kind of fascinated with these things, um, excited over over a cup of cocoa, uh, obsessive around robes. You know, all kinds of little very the the your, your kind of greed and hatred tends to come out into these particular um, areas of life, which you know make make them seem so absurd. <laughs> Some of them. <laughs> Some of them seem completely real <laughs> and valid and true. <laughs> uh, which is another very interesting piece of it. Uh, because we also all have uh, kind of an inheritance. You know. So one one of the other things to bear in mind about when you begin to get a feeling for the veracity of of karma, of ethics, as as a leading something to guide yourself, is always you begin to consider and and look at the topic of of, um, results. You know, what results we have. This can also be a source of doubt. 
where am I getting to in my practice? I've been doing this for 20 years, how far have I got? You know? mm. And, um, you know, when, when, and where, where you look for the results of, of practice. Mm. So one of the things that uh, um, is actually knowing where to look. So just as when we consider um, life more broadly, you, you're asking the right kind of question, not like, you know, what am I, where am I going, who am I, and so forth. You start to consider what am I doing right now. Similarly, when you look at the results of your practice, the results of your life, you, what are the right questions to ask? You know, and um, where where do you look for the results? Say, you know, and most people will tend to look um, either in the wrong way or in the wrong place. To look very immediately, actually, that to be looking for results is something very immediate. One of the, t- uh, the aspects of Dharma is it's, it's actually an immediate quality. So very often, the, the why the whole per- why we are looking for results is because of doubt. So doubt, when you follow doubt, it will tend to take you to those places which are dubious. And uncertain, because <laughs> that's, you know, it's like where you shoot the arrow from, you know. So if you, that's kind of going to determine where it's going. So if you shoot it in the west direction, it's going to go west. So if you shoot it from the place of doubt, that's where it's going to go. <laughs> it's going to go in that direction through some very interesting territory, maybe. But it's basically shoot that way. Um, so quite often when we're actually when the question comes up is how's the practice going, why are you asking the question? Because of doubt. Okay, so what does doubt feel like? Where is, where is you know, can, can you begin to contemplate the experience of, of uncertainty or unknowing? So you're really trying to bring your, your focus back, you know, to, because we're looking at, particularly when we ask that question, we're often looking at, at the mind states what kind of mind state should I have by now? What sort of mind state should I be in by now? And if you ask the question from the place of doubt, you're standing in the mind state of doubt, and the mind state of doubt can't take you to the mind state of non-doubt. So you have to kind of, you know, rephrase the question, not what, what um, you know, to, to investigate the mind state that you're in when you ask that particular question. Because the nature of mind states is that once one, these kind of qualities, these mind states arise, they tend to colour everything. When I say mind states, I don't mean just thoughts. I mean basically emotional tinges, you might say. A mind state is not just a, a thought or an idea. It's a whole kind of uh, a quality that suffuses your whole experience. So you have a mind state of anger where you find yourself irritated by everything. You know? You can have a mind state of greed when you find yourself kind of feeling needy and hungry and peckish and wanting kind of lots of things. You see something, that'd be rather nice. And, you know, fancy one of those. And it's my right to have that. And it's an interesting looking gadget. And look at the nice pair of socks he's wearing and so forth. You see all the desirable things. <laughs> and you, think, you think, it's amazing how many desirable things there are. Why is that? <laughs> because you're in a mind state of greed. It's dominating the mind. <laughs> So it's not necessarily a thought, it's the kind of, it's the overall gestalt, the ethos in which the mind is sitting. So when it's sitting in the mind state of doubt, it's got this rocky, fuzzy, wavering quality to it. And in that mind state, that you'll, you'll see all the things that, that give doubt some form. 
just as if you're in the mind state of greed or, or hatred, you see the things that arouse greed and hatred. In the mind state of doubt, you'll actually re- remember and recognize and consider and think along those lines. Hmm. So you actually got to start acknowledging the very mind state that's present now, the, the tone of it. This is where it's really important to to um, have this, you know, to develop meditation. <clears throat> and you realize that the, the reason why we don't penetrate these mind states, which is actually the whole purpose of Dharma practice, is because the, you know, there's this immense um, system of ignorance or ignoring or not looking into, depending how you want to translate that, avijja, not seeing clearly, not seeing the present clearly, not seeing the basis of our actions, not seeing the basis of our, of our mental actions, of our emotional states, of our mind basis in this very moment. We don't see this. We're actually continually bouncing off it, or projecting from it, or reacting to it, or covering it up. <laughs> They're all these are avijja. So you just start to, to, you know, this. So this is the first thing you've actually got to begin to to acknowledge and penetrate. And the quality, <clears throat> so anything, any kind of um, reaction in, in, your, in your mind that actually prevents you from holding something with attention is a mark of, of ignorance. You know, it's ignoring something. And you notice how these moments in your, in your kind of mental movements where there's a, there's a sort of twitch or a shrug where you go, oh, forget that. Oh, it doesn't matter. Oh, tomorrow. Well, everybody does that. Well, life's like that. It's the way it is. Yeah. Well, you know, this little twitch occurs with a, some kind of bit of slogan behind it. Uh, the current slogan of the, of the year or the day or the ongoing slogan of your life. Wait a minute. It's like you know, you, it's like somebody walking through customs, and you've got this bag. Oh, I'm just walking through. There's nothing in here. <laughs> and if you're really clear, you say, "Well, wait a minute. Do you have a problem with me looking into that?" Oh, it doesn't really matter. No, oh, nothing you can do about it. That's interesting. The kind of shuffle that occurs. So that's that's how this. The, the doubt is just that how ignorance and doubt work together you know, the, the, the ignorance actually supports this sense of, of a wavering and havering of the mind a lack of clarity of the mind a lack of incisiveness of mind so you begin to actually work against those habits those shrug habits those slogan grabbing habits the generic statements that we make. People are like this. Boof. Life's like this. Boof. You know. Grab for a generic statement and you know, don't look at the specific event at the moment, just grab one of these handy generic statements. We've been doing it humans have been doing it for thousands of years, you know. <laughs> Haven't they? <laughs> you know, Jews are like this, Arabs are like this. Women are like this. Men are like this. Just grab one of those things. <laughs> what do you want? It national, national, you know, Irish, Polish, Jewish, Germans are like this. Bang, one of those. You know, it's classic human behaviour, isn't it? And so when we do that, and we don't have to look at what's going on in in our own minds when we do that grab and throw, and then behind that we say, well, it doesn't really, you know, because you've got a kind of a this uh, particular movement of ignorance which which doesn't let you look into the specific qualities of where your mind is coming from when you make one of these statements and these statements can be not just about others, it can be about yourself I'm like this really? Yeah. and you notice the ones because you begin to feel, particularly the ones that always go always like this you can begin to hear the kind of tone or quality of always like this or never get this <laughs> yeah. 
where <laughs> something's not just substantial, it's also extended in time, it's got an agonized tonal to quality of despair to it. Yeah, or ought to be like this, or should be like this. Uh, so you kind of see, this is, this is ignorance. Because it's not really allowing you to attend fully to to what's happening in in your own experience right now, to where the causes of it, the causal arising of experience, where your mind's coming from. And this is, um, you know, it's it's a fearful form of behaviour. You know, I think, you know, you get a group of people together, we'll often start to caricature something or some somebody outside the group or inside the group, you know, just as almost a way of relating. Mm. Governments like this. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so because of this, the, your, the arrow of your mind is continually shooting off to places where there's no, there's no solution there. You know that. You know? Where does it go? You know, when you think like that, you, you, know, you shoot off one of these arrows, these generic arrows of... of People like this, life's like that, I'm like that, you're like that, Italians are like that, French are like that. What do you think? Oh, ends up with what can you do? <laughs> That's where it goes to, doesn't it? Just so then you're in this state of doubt as depression. Because yeah. the where you were standing on was the place of doubt. And so where you shot your arrow to was the arrow, however, you know, that was attuned, the arrow carried the doubt, and it took you to a place of doubt, where again, you're either, there's no answer, there's no solution, you're depressed, you're fed up, life's sealed off, nothing you can do about it, shrug it off, next story. And so it goes on. So really, the kind of um, most imp- the you see the results. You see them very immediately. You know, some results of practice because of the nature of karma. Some results of practice don't occur for many years. You know, it's like you're almost doing a detox on ignorance. So first of all, bits of the system start to get cleaned out and freshened up, and as they do, first of all, they start to hurt. <laughs> There's some enjoyment, some refreshment, but it's like you just come out of a car crash, you know. And uh, as you come to, oh god, oh oh oh, pain, you know. Wow, you were in a coma before, <laughs> you know. Or you're just coming out of a, of a night out, you're a bender, and you first come, you think, oh, oh, I feel horrible. <laughs> But at least you're not totally smashed anymore. So the first signs are often a sense of, of, of some, some um, discomfort because uh, the, the results of ignorance are present. And this isn't, we're not looking necessarily at a really huge immoral actions, but just the results of, of, of confusion and ignorance and wrong views. So when you start to kind of wake up, first you feel kind of uncomfortable because... Um, you know, you, you, you're experiencing the, the results of, um, you know, having, trying to find uh, answers in generic terms for a start. You know, looking for ideologies, ideological statements, and they don't quite fit. And you're feeling, something's wrong, I can't. I try harder to really get this thing sorted out. I feel really uncomfortable. This is a bit, say, in... Um, you know, certainly in Buddhist practice you get to this state where you're ideologically uncomfortable because you can't quite find an ideology that really fits it. 
be nice if it was completely life affirming and and uh, ecologically correct and really but it sort of isn't exactly and it doesn't really believe in very much um, so you can think, where's the where's the answers to the big philosophical topics of our time yeah. what's the role of humanity in the cosmos uh what happens when we die? Um, why were we born? What is our purpose here? Um, well, we were born out of ignorance. <laughs> our purpose is to stop being ignorant. <laughs> so, well, you know, so looking for philosophical knowledge. And it's going to be very uncomfortable. Yeah. Or maybe we look for other things in our lives. You know, what we've what we've tended to to seek certainty through. Sometimes it's like you just want to have um, seek certainty through um, relationships. Saying a life is not a very really necessarily comfortable on a relational level. Yeah, people come and go, people change, things shift, people go through stuff, people dump stuff, people make mistakes, and um, you know, and then they then they come and they go. <laughs> so the sense of really bedding down into a nice affirmative relational steady state it doesn't quite happen on that level. It's anger life. And I imagine very much the same in anybody's life. So we so you're often looking in the wrong places for for where the real certainties can be. Yeah. So part of the the um, right questions to ask is is are you are you first of all um, you're not pasting ideological statements on top of your experience. Mm. You're actually looking directly at it rather than some philosophical or attitudinal lens. You're looking at the ethical qualities of what, what's actually coming up in your mind, whether it's hurt, fearful, nasty, grabbing, needy. And these, you begin to, as you look at this, you see so much of it is based just upon uncertainty. You know, we get angry because we feel frightened, because we feel. Uh, threatened because we feel intimidated because we haven't got any real sense of steadiness and security. So any anything that feels threatened is in to get angry. Even a beetle will do that. You see, and kind of when you try and pick one up, they start to get a bit feisty at you. Um, even when you're trying to do them good. So you actually start to realise how much of the of the um, violence and the and the neediness of human behaviour rests upon this fundamental insecurity. You start to sense that in yourself. And you realise you're not going to find it, you know, to realise you're not going to find it in ideological statements, you're not going to find it in emotional security. That's, well, you know, if you can, great. Or maybe, I don't know, but I've never found it that way. And the Buddha's recommendation is, is, is you, can, you can get to certain levels of of, um, of, st- of stasis on that, but really what you're looking for is, is, a, is something that goes much deeper and is, is independent of that. Because all those things require continual props and affirmations and sustaining. Mm. <clears throat> and there are essentially um, the process of, of um, of clearing out the old, old, old karma, the old um, habits we have, and the process of of bringing in skillful new habits is really what meditation is primarily about. Mm-hmm. So we start to to look towards: Are we, for a start, becoming more in touch with our bodies, minds, and thoughts? 
And particularly, are you, are you actually bringing all those three together? Because this is what the first aim of meditation is. Well, if you like, you have the ability to begin to supervise and recollect. Then you actually aim towards, towards collectedness, samadhi, composure. Doesn't mean necessarily got it, but at least you're aiming for that. Because this is what brings your thinking, your emotional basis, which is the basis of mind states, and the body together. It brings these three aspects together. What we know through our actions is we can act physically, we can act verbally, and we can act emotionally. The emotion, in a way, is the primary thing that gets the other things going, means we feel happy or sad, frightened or threatened, joyful, loving, irritable. That's what triggers these, what we say and what we do. You know? So that's the, really the basis of it all. And because our, this emotional basis, this mind base, is confused, is often distressed, is often partly occluded, it can have stored up all kinds of... Um, grievances and fears and um, you know hungers in it then the the you know the aim of meditation is to begin to is begin to clear this this is where the story of our life is continually being recreated through our ongoing actions of speech and body you know. and to do that you've the Simplicity of the practice is really just by bringing the body energy and the heart and the thinking together. It's almost like when you start to line the system up into true, it begins to kind of find its own balance. Hmm? Yeah. <clears throat> so, to just to recognize the three are connected. Obviously, what we feel in our mind base, our hearts, comes out through our speech and activates our body, so we acknowledge that. You can also see on a much more subtle level how the emotional state, the mind state, affects the process of your thought, whether you're thinking in a speedy, zappy way, whether you're thinking in a confident way, whether you're fault-finding, it's because of basically the, the, the emotional state, the mind base that you're in, Affects that, and you also feel how it affects your body. <clears throat> so when you feel very angry, you, you get your pulse starts racing. You feel tense and tight. You feel hard. <clears throat> you feel like you've got a armor on, because <clears throat> right. And when you feel loving and joyful, you tend to feel loose, open, flexible, fluid. Mm. When you feel frightened, you tend to feel kind of shrunk and contracted. Mm. So you can actually sense these these things in, in the more, particularly the more obvious mind states. When you feel a sense of doubt, you begin to get this kind of plummeting sense, a sinking sense, spinning and sinking. There's no firm ground. Mm. And sometimes you experience it in your in, in in your heart. Sometimes you experience it in your belly. You know, a kind of gut sense of. Ugh things falling away or an empty hole inside. So this is very much, this is what the somatic um, reference is about. It gives you a very clear way of acknowledging your emotional states. Uh, why we enter the practice through meditation through mindfulness of the body is to begin to survey the body not just as um, um, just purely meat and bones, but actually as, an, as a system of intelligence where you can begin to feel through the breathing in, the breathing out, you begin to feel the energy system kind of opening and refining and sharpening and calming, you know. So you get more in touch with the actual somatic states that accompany the mind states. That's why we do things like mindfulness of breathing or body sweeping or walking. You do walking meditation, you begin to sense, you walk up and down for half an hour, you realize, wow, I've been walking like a soldier for the last half an hour. And all the time I've been thinking about, oh, do this, do that, you're not going to tell me this again, I've had enough of that, I'm not standing. It's funny how that, you know, that's affected the way I'm walking. You know, or I've got to get you walking with a kind of your eyes locked 
I've got to get here, I've got to get there, I've got to get concentrated, I've got to get better at this. And you feel your whole eyes bulging out and your head locked. Thinking, wow, suddenly, you know, you see how the, the body state reflects the mind state. And it's very helpful to notice that because because of the suffusive nature of mind states, you don't even see them, you're so in them. You don't see them. And your thinking can just just goes along with it. You know? Your thinking is just completely duped by it. Time and time again. Same old stuff, time and time again. You know? And sometimes it's actually difficult for some of us actually to get in touch with our emotions. You know? Sometimes I don't know what I'm feeling personally. I know what I'm saying and thinking. Wait a minute. What am I feeling? I go, uh, feeling. It means that bit underneath my neck, you mean. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, sort of, oh. Um, yeah. It's a bit murky down there. It's sort of bubbling and heaving. I'm really upset, actually. I had all these quite, quite clear, critical comments forming in my mind about the way the monastery's going. And it's very clear, factual, not biased in any way at all. <laughs> Just clear statements of fact. And, you know, completely justified. I look down into my... Climb down from there, down the ladder... Get down here. Yeah, feeling a bit edgy this morning, and um, just you know, beginning to acknowledge that. And I don't have a body. I don't have a body right now. I have this kind of whirling spin of, of thoughts and moods. Yeah. I've got a body. I've got some eyes, top of my head, forehead, and eyes. And a mouth. <laughs> Gone. This means a Ouija has taken over again. You know, despite all these incredibly lucid, clear thoughts. You know, sharp to the point, purposeful thoughts. Ideologically backed up, statistics, you know, a yard long. Facts and figures about why and why they never, and I should, and I never don't, and I always will, and I, they haven't, and this, that, and the other. And wow, and suddenly, wait a minute, you haven't got a body. <laughs> something wrong, something wrong. <laughs> so you come down to it, it feels kind of edgy and nasty and tight. Just ease up there, will you? You know, just walk about a bit, just kind of come out. Oh, that's funny. Uh, trees are nice. <laughs> Clouds are nice. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly all those facts and figures have just sort of melted away. <laughs> so you just, you know, I notice more and more that, I, that uh, though they, they come up, you know, at least I sort of start to realise that... Um, you know, don't go there. Don't assess yourself with that thing. That thing is that thing is a machine, you know. That thing up in your head. And once it gets a negative program going, that thing can destroy the planet. <laughs> and it is doing so at the moment. And it can certainly destroy your own life. <laughs> yeah. So you want to also, just really bear in mind, you know, the, the, the advice is to, you know, just put that baby down and get into your body. Just breathe in and breathe out. Find a way back. Get get whole. Get complete. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we neglect that. But you really realise that when your thoughts go out, and when your emotions go out, which they do, right, you panic. Hmm? The only thing that's going to save you is your body. You know, sometimes it's just the matter of you just being in that state, and somebody actually just puts their hand on your shoulder, and you go, oh, 
You know, it can be that simple. We do it all the time. You know, when you see somebody freaking out, you just kind of get around them. Are you okay? Sit down. Touch. Sit down. You know, get your feet on the ground and have a drink of water. Get physical. You don't bother with giving the the lecture on the nature of self and there's nobody here feeling panic. (laughs) Panic is just panicking, but there's nobody feeling it. You know, kind of stuff. There's something we need to do that to ourselves. So you want to avoid any, uh, be careful of any kind of in, instructions or ideas that, that tell you the body doesn't count or that your emotions don't count. You want to have it so that all these three count. They all have something. The thinking can be valuable. Your emotions are valuable and your body is valuable. And the three together, when you get them in true, that's all you've got, Right? And it's not that any one of them is great on its own. No way. But when they're in alignment, then that's the path to the deathless. It's in that balance, the lining them up. That's when they start to, the negative, confused distortions get cancelled out. You know, the, the biases get cancelled out because the body says, no, that doesn't feel right. That's causing me stress. That's, that's, I can feel it tightening my throat up. I can feel it, you know, causing this uh, tension in my temples. I don't want that. So you drop it. And uh, it's like that. And gradually you begin to purify the, the heart through the body. But it does mean that your, your thinking mind itself has to be attuned to be something that actually does keep placing that inquiry so it's not that thinking is irrelevant, but that discursive thinking, ideological thinking, generic thinking, thinking about the future, the past, thinking about yourself, all that is actually superfluous, doesn't go anywhere, is, in, is valueless, is confusing, takes you into the thicket. The Buddha called it the bramble thicket of views. You start to think about yourself, your future, your past, um, ideological statements, Generic statements, they're all taking you just into the thicket of views where you get torn up. You want to use your thinking mind just to say, this, bring it to, this is how the energy is right now, this is the feeling right now, is this. That's its use. You point with it and you evaluate with it. And you evaluate the intimacy of what you're experiencing now. And your first reference is, is... the body reference, you know, it could be the emotions, depending which is really dominant for you, but if you're getting a strong emotional sense, okay, you're feeling happy, you're feeling sad, you're feeling frightened right now, well, first place to go, because the first way you can release it is in your body, because in your body you'll find somewhere that's not experiencing that. The mind state suffuses everything. When you're in fear, everything is fear. When you're in anger, everything is anger. Yeah. But you find somewhere in your body which isn't that way. Your feet, maybe. Head's angry, heart's angry. Your feet, totally cool. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So you find some places, well, you're breathing, you know, breathing through your anger, breathing into your doubt. So you're finding some place, some reference point where you can begin to feel the health. It's like you're starting to find some place that's in balance that in order to get to know how to, how to attune and align to that. Simply speaking, that, you know, in order to really bring around release, you have to know suffering and non-suffering at the same time. The place where it's stressed and the place where it's not stressed. So that, if you like, that stress has a place to release itself. It's rather like you can actually feel the place where you feel comfortable and you let the discomfort move out through that, that comfort. Something we do every day, hopefully, when you've got a good friend, you're feeling angry, annoyed, upset, you go to somebody who's not angry, annoyed, and upset, and you say, blah, 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 and they go, 
oh yeah, it must be difficult feeling that bad. I really feel for you. And, you think, and it starts to dissipate, doesn't it? You find a place that's not in stress and that can release your stress. What a spiritual friend can do for us. And we could be able to do that for ourselves sooner or later, intimately. Hmm. So looking in the right place is important. Don't look for the answer to doubt in thought, in thinking about yourself, your future, your past, whether you belong to the right religion, whether you're in the right group. What's, you know, look into the place where you can find right now there's a place that is not in doubt. you get that, then the thinking will sort itself out. You, know, you just find a place where you can settle. You can actually then, you get the body energy straight, the mind, the heart, the mind base comes out of that, and then you're not pumping, unconsciously pumping, this doubt, worry, fear, tension, energy up into your head, which you don't do deliberately, but it's an unconscious reflex. It's what happens. The mind, the thinking mind takes the mind base as its object. So you think, your attention goes into the mind base and trawls around in there and formulates things out of that mind base. So you've got to go to a, put your thinking to somewhere where that isn't, just through that act of, of pure attention. So this is what we're encouraged to do, you know, and to develop it. Because in that you can find, um, when you get these releases, as your mind base, as your heart starts to touch into things like joy, contentment, <coughs> forgiveness, release, you know, how these little shifts occur when the, the important shifts that occur, the important movements are those movements where there's a, there's a letting go. You begin to acknowledge that. There are shifts that amount to tensing up and there are shifts that result in release and letting go. And so you, you start to acknowledge where those occur specifically. You know, they may be just momentary ones. Wait, oh, and then, oh, you know. That's where you're finding the place where you feel most comfortable in your own heart. And you focus on that. And just the same principle is if you keep putting your attention into the good place, the quality of the good place suffuses your entire landscape. So if you, rather than just attending to the place of doubt or irritation or disappointment, you attend to the place of ease, then you actually that quality of ease then becomes the kind of the, the um, benchmark for, for, your, for your, what, how you think and how you feel. It, cover, it suffuses everything. That's, that's, that's the principle of samadhi, of concentration. It's not like just kind of wedging the mind into a corner, but actually looking very specifically into where you're starting to feel more comfortable in yourself and really keep putting attention there, 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 there. Touch it, feel it. First, it's quite slight. A slight diminution of tension or the slight lessening of thought, the lessening of pressure. There, there, there it is. So that's why you need to get really specific in that pointing. Not generic, not topical, but really specific, you know, here and now in yourself. And then that can, where you get a sense of something easing, make much of that. Yeah. And then you see the results are, are immediate results in terms of, you know, your own, where you're at right now. And from that immediate result, you can have long-term results in terms of your life, in terms of you're acting from a place of some ease and contentment then naturally your speech and your physical actions are going to come from that place. They don't want to take you anywhere wrong. They're not going to take you from somewhere where you're just acting on impulse or recklessness or panic or fear or defensiveness or whatever. They're going to take you somewhere good. 
So then you see the long-term consequences are going to come from this very immediate consequence of, of dealing with the, the karmic tone of your own mind base. We have to acknowledge that our own mind base is not, no point lamenting over it. Because a lot of it is not even something you've done. So it's just you inherit it from, from the society, from, from indoctrination, from propaganda, from misinformation, from all kinds of accidents and mishaps that happen in our life. We get afflicted, we get wounded, we get tetchy, we get fearful, we get grumpy, we get biased. Um, so you need to kind of actually, you know, not make somebody out of all of this. Not base your life on it anymore. You've got to leave that person behind. They're not going to take you anywhere. Good. So the, but the one who is, isn't even a person. It's just this, this opening mind state, this opening place of ease. So you've got to look in the right place for that. And it happens now. And then... then and then what are the kind of actions that lead you to that place? And what are the actions that come from that? That's how your life starts to get into some order. You know, some sense of alignment. That's the place where you can really um, begin to find the, the balance whereby things stop. There's no more stories to have to be told. You get, you're not writing a script anymore. Then this, then this is in fact you, you know, you, when you sense that, there's no doubt. Because it doesn't have, to, you don't have to think it, you don't have to keep writing it or believing it or affirming it. It stands for itself. So, for this, for your reflection.